Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Mike Procy. Mike is an entrepreneur, facilitator, innovator, and problem solver. Working in the Calgary energy sector, Mike strives to build the innovation ecosystem and community. From his volunteer position on the Strategic Capability Network, where he founded the Calgary Innovation Peer Forum, to pursuing his DBA in winter 2024, focused on innovation, Mike is pushing the thinking on what it means to be a corporate innovation practitioner. Now let's join Mike for his discussion on innovation accounting with Esther Gons. Take it away, Mike. All right, perfect. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for joining us today. I am pleased to speak today with Esther Gons, CEO and co-founder of Ground Control and also author of Innovation Accounting, which is what we are all here to talk about today, innovation accounting. So this is something I'm quite passionate about. And it's something that comes up in nearly all of my conversations around innovation. It's great to have in organizations. We all want to ensure that we are innovating to prevent ourselves against disruption. But at the end of the day, we are businesses. We are corporations. How do you actually account for this? So we definitely have the right person in the room. Esther, how are you doing today? I'm fine. I thank you so much for speaking. I love Uh, to have a platform to talk about innovation accounting. So this is good, Mike. (laughs) <laughs> Perfect. Pleasure pleasure to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about your book, Innovation Accounting? Yeah, so Innovation Accounting is actually the second book. So our first book, The Corporate Startup, was all about how do you create that ecosystem on around innovation account around innovation to be successful in innovation. And innovation accounting is actually sort of a deep dive. So if you're really setting up that ecosystem for innovation, then that means you're setting up a system next to the current system, right? Because your current system is dealing with current business models. It's trying to avoid risk as much as possible. And and it wants that growth, efficiency, and optimization. So if you really want disruptive innovation, that you need to build a second system, one that can deal with risk, uh, one that considers success something else than just financials, and and has a way of 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 understanding progress with something different than than just financials and that's your second system and if you really want to do disruptive innovation within your company then that second system is 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 yeah it's it's you need that that's that's really? something that is, <laughs> that is, that is inevitable if you don't have it you can't do disruptive innovation. So you need to have two systems there at play, one to kind of measure base business, one to measure this new disruptive innovation. Why do organizations actually need to account for that second innovation bucket? Can't they just say, all right, let's do something differently. We're here to prevent disruption. Go at it. Why do you need this accounting component to that? Yeah, and I, I yeah, I, by now we're so mature in in innovation that we've already seen people try that. So we've seen companies that said, "Oh, but we're doing disruptive innovation. We have so many ideas. We're just going to try that and put that and use our current system because we don't know what other system we need, right? And if you don't know, then you just use what you have. And what happens if you do that is that." Your current processes, your current accounting is going to take charge of that. 
because things mm-hmm. cannot exist in a void in a void and they certainly cannot exist in a void in a big company right you have the processes in place to give you guidance to make sure that your strategy and vision is for, followed to make sure that you're successful so as soon as you have disruptive ideas but you put it back in the processes that can't deal with this disruption with uncertainty with risk and don't give you financial output within let's say a year mm. then it will be squashed back to do to incremental innovation as soon as you put it in that system, because that so system you, can't deal with the disruption. You mentioned about a year there that that it takes, you know, that, that leadership could potentially be looking for returns on. What window should they be looking for for truly disruptive innovation? Does it vary quite a bit or, or what kind of runway should we be looking at here? Because I've heard yeah. a year as well is very difficult to obtain. It is. And then when I say 12 years, which is, for instance, the time frame when from which Airbnb started when it got picked up by financial analysts it's 12 years mm. then most corporates scared uh, look at me scared and say you can't you can't say that can you make it shorter and like mm-hmm. i can't make it shorter right so it depends on how disruptive and how far away from right now you are with the idea or the concept of of, of this disruptive innovation but somewhere between three to five or seven to 12 years is what it will take to build a business model that works and gives you the return that you expect as a bigger company and have you seen companies where their leadership team their executive team is open to this you know three to 12 year window i mean obviously without getting into the specifics of the company how do you how do you kind of work with leadership to say, okay, this is the timeframes we're looking at? How do you frame that so that it still resonates with them, recognizing that a lot of times they are, you know, held accountable to that base business and that hour, or pardon me, that one year return window? Yes. So there is, the leadership often often understands the fa- fact that it takes longer, but then it comes back to the process again, because from a financial point of view, the budgets have to be accounted for. So even if they understand, if there are still processes in place like you used to that want to avoid risk and, and deal differently with, with projects, like with business cases and one-on-one, then even if, the lead, even if leadership understands, after two and a half to three years, the question will come up from this is how much budget we put in it, where's the return? Mm. Can you show us progress? And if you don't have any any new process or new KPIs or new forms of progress in place, then that will automatically be translated in progress is, can you show me return? Can you show me there is going to be a business case at the end of this funnel because we've already put so much in here? And there always comes a time in every innovation program, regardless of who I talk to, where management or leaders come knocking and they say, well, can you show me what what we're getting out of this? So if yeah, you haven't yeah. prepared for that on your innovation journey yet, it's definitely coming. I, so I see a pattern, the three-year yeah. pattern, I see. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Where they, they come in and they start asking it. So, okay, let's say that you're Jane or John Doe, you know, somewhere in a large organization, you decided to kick off your innovation program, you're listening to this podcast, you're doing all the right things. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, I need to ensure that I'm kind of safeguarding against this and that I'm accounting for my innovation program. 
how do organizations actually go about doing this? What sort of things should they be looking at? Yeah, so so does that mean you want to talk about KPI specifically or just where to start? <laughs> yeah, let's dive into it. Let's get into KPI specifically. I, I heard you mention <laughs> earlier non-financial KPIs as well. What what's right. kind of a few yeah. that they should be looking at? Yeah, so it depends on on where your organization is actually finding the biggest hurdles where where to start, right? But you have to take into account that it's a couple of things that you need to have in place if you're building an innovation accounting system. And it's not just KPIs. A combination of having a framework with with stages that align with with the search for a business model. So product lifecycle stages that align with, hey, what do I look at first in building a and searching for a working business model? It's a combination of that. It's a combination of making sure that you have a work, way of working that deals with risk. So validated learning is the most important important thing if you're if you're looking for a business model that works. So start small, test what is risky, look at your assumptions correlating to that search for working business model. And then there's questions that you can ask every single stage. But if you want to compare the initiatives that you start, because statistically, we know there is a there is a failing chance that's really big if you're going into a disruptive innovation, right? Mm-hmm. One out of mm-hmm. 10, one out of 12, one out of nine, I don't know. But statistically, we need to start many mm-hmm. to end up with a few that actually work. So you also have to invest in them differently. Mm, so okay. you, you you don't look at it project by project, compare business cases and the amount you will invest in them. You look at the complete funnel. Then you look at the data coming in from the test of validated learning and only invest little bits in many initiatives at the start of that funnel. Mm. Go forward only with those that really show from that validation that they have some real market value, that there's some proof in the idea, and then move forward from there. Um, Which means that you cannot compare the initiatives one-on-one based on a single business case because Mm -hmm. you don't know yet. Like you're looking at it in stages and then move forward only if you see validation. Mm-hmm. That means you have to be able to compare them in a different way. Mm-hmm. So what is it that you need to be good at if you want to do validated learning and start a whole lot of initiatives, learn from them and see what works and only move forward with the ones that really work? That means your team needs to be excellent at learning because mm-hmm. that is the main thing that you need to be excellent at. Right. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. learning then becomes a KPI. Is my team good at learning? Because that's where you base your decisions on. I'm basing Mm -hmm. my decisions on the learnings of my team. Should they move forward or not? The better Mm -hmm. they become at that, the easier it is for me to make those decisions. And the faster we can also invalidate things that might not be worth anything. So So that's... Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So I, I was going to say, so as you go into it a little bit more, learning being one of the KP, K, key KPIs, the engineer in me is thinking, okay, but how do we go about measuring learning? Should we be looking at like the number of seminars that we have, the number of failures that we have, the number of team development opportunities? How would you actually go about measuring yeah, that? But, yeah, that goes back to the team, right? So every single initiative should be doing validated learning. That means they mm-hmm. take the assumptions that they have around the business model in each stage 
and then tackle that assumption by building a test or an experiment. Mm. Then you can actually me measure if you learned from that experiment or not. Did we learn that it, it was not true what we thought? Did we learn it was true, right? Can we make a pivot or can we move forward based on what we've learned? Then you've learned something. So having a Did hypothesis already... and then saying yes or no, we we hit this or we learned yes, something. Yes, or having this. an assumption that you want to learn more about if that's true or not, then or having insights that you didn't have before, that's learnings. And you can actually say yes or no. Did I have a learning? If you're honest with within your team, mm -hmm. but it needs to be able because everything is unclear at the start, and you want to be able to validate the assumptions that or invalidate the assumptions that you have around that business model. Okay. So let's say I have a I have a cluster of these ideas or opportunities, you know, just for argument's sake, we're taking forward a hundred. We have a really big team. We're fully staffed. We're fully resourced. Ooh, that would and, be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and we're coming out of the gate super strong. We move yeah. forward with a hundred of these, and thirty of them end up giving us some sort of learning. And we're like, okay, this this checks the box. We've box. We've tested our hypothesis, and we have a positive outcome here. As you're moving forward throughout this framework that you mentioned, do your KPIs change at all as you're moving deeper down the process? Well, they change a little because you have different insights. I mean, learning is the basis. So that should be the same throughout the, the stages. But at the end, when you start to have revenue models and, and actual commitment of clients, then you, you might have different individual KPIs that you base your decisions on. But what I what I think is more important is that each of these stages, there's there's some key questions, right? Mm. So if I start in the first stage of my, my framework and we have decided as a company that the first stage should be all around the problem and the customer segment of of the initiative that I'm trying to explore, then I should be able to I should be able to answer questions around did I identify problem that's big enough or did mm. i identify at least one early evangelist or customer segment that i can move forward with these questions can be the same for every single initiative whereas if you look at i don't know pirate metrics revenue that's business case dependent mm. so that's fine to make decisions on if you're in a venture board specifically for that single initiative but you'd also need the kpis that can compare all of the initiatives in your funnel which means that it, if you are validating and learning, you should be working towards key questions within your framework. So around problem and customer segment in the first stage, around job to be done and solution in the second stage, around, uh, around revenue and value proposition in the third stage. And then maybe something about scaling in the in the, in the fourth stage. So and if you have key these questions. key questions, yeah. right, then every single initiative knows what kind of assumptions you want to test to be able to answer those questions with confidence. And then it becomes a system. Like that's the code wreck of your innovation accounting system. Because teams have, have a need for different KPIs, right? They indeed want to move forward on is this, is this enough com commitment to, to build a solution on? Is, is this enough rev revenue to move forward into a, this kind of growth mo model? That's, that's, that's initiative specific. Then you have KPIs around your team. Are they good enough in what they're doing? As a manager, I want to understand if my teams are doing very well. Are enough initiatives tested? Do I 
have enough of them in the funnel. So there's a managerial layer on top of that team layer that has to manage the, the whole funnel as well as the teams and their knowledgeability. And then on top mm. of that, we have leadership that need to be able to take decisions on the whole funnel, right? Because strategically, they don't want to know everything about every single initiative. They shouldn't, they shouldn't really be dragged into decisions about 10,000, what is it, dollars probably, a euro, mm. uh, euros. <laughs> mm. uh, because that's, that's costing a lot of their time. And then they see one single initiative and probably will compare initiative to initiatives. No, what they need to be able to look at is the whole funnel and understand if that funnel that is all of the ideas that at some point one of the ideas might contribute to the portfolio of tomorrow. But right mm -hmm. now that funnel is just opportunities that match with the vision they had for their strategy. And those mm -hmm. are opportunities. At some point, they will, they will shift to a portfolio. But right now, they need to understand that these opportunities are moving forward towards the vision they had within their strategy. I like to, in this framework, as you're mentioning it, between like individual contributors, managers, or leaders, if you have the right key questions and the right KPIs, it kind of makes those roles a lot more defined and easier to follow. Because so many times, People don't know how they're being measured against. People don't know what qual what quantifies as success, right? Or even what decision they're there to make in the team. So if you have these key questions followed by KPIs for different stages, for different levels, now all of a sudden I know what my role is as a leader, what my role is as a manager, and what I'm trying to achieve. And that that differentiation and goal setting, I think, is very important, especially in large organizations where it can get confusing what the role is that you play sometimes, depending on how many how many cooks are in the kitchen. So the question that we often get that can come up is, all right, so I have this innovation program. Maybe you've taken your, your most innovative people, let's say, in the organization. These are big idea people. They want to see things differently. They're always kind of pushing against the norm or pushing against the status quo. And they might say, well, if we begin accounting for this, we're going to limit creativity. We're actually going to hurt some of the innovation that exists in our innovation program. Do you hear yeah. that a lot? Does accounting yeah. for innovation limit the creativity? Yeah, that's, that's something I hear quite often. But I think it's one of the things that if you're not sure about something and there's change, then there's always things you're going to say like this. It feels like it will hamper creativity. Right. But, but then actually most of the time it doesn't hamper creativity. It actually enhances creativity because mm. you're not trying to tell people that they, that they should do everything you don't in a certain way. You don't, you don't squish it in a system, but you actually are giving them sort of swimming lanes. Right. So mm. this is a structure that we adhere to because it's important and we make decisions this way. We follow it rigorously, but within that structure, you have the freedom and the creativity to think outside of the box. Now, if you will give people the, 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 just a task to think outside of the box, most of the time, nothing will happen. Because how do you want me to think outside of the box? What box? Mm. Right? Where do you want me to think? There's no context here. It's like giving a grown-up blank piece of paper and then tell them to draw. Mm. Most of the time, they don't know what to draw. What do you expect of me? Right? If I draw something, then is it going to be false because you don't like it? What is, the, what is the structure? What do you expect of me? When is it a success? All these questions is what 
people that have to think out of the box have as well. So that structure will give them context. They know what they have to move towards too. So can you answer these questions at the end of this stage? Can you ask, answer these questions? You have to work in validation cycles. That's fine. So we know that we will enter a stage of uncertainty. It will probably go up and down in circles and, and, <laughs> and, and is interconnected. But that structure will give you some sense of moving forward. And that will actually give you the means to be more creative within that structure because you know the context. You know what is expected of you. You know that leadership at the end will not going to say, oh, but I was thinking more like, I don't know, a cool app that will do this and this. No, there is expectations, there's context, and there's clear questions that you need to be able to answer. And there's a structure that we follow. So it's easier to think out of the box because you know the context of that box. There you go. We heard it direct from Esther then, who literally wrote the book, Innovation Accounting, that this, that setting this up and accounting for your innovation journey will not hamper creativity, but will actually enhance it. And you could see more of that. And I've experienced that as well. And it's funny, as you mentioned, your situation where you take your, you take your development to leadership. I've heard stories about that where they take it towards leadership and leadership says something very similar to, oh, I thought it would be an app or I thought we'd have this or I was really thinking we'd go in this direction. And again, setting up clear KPIs from the beginning, you can always lean back and leverage those, right? Those are your keys to success for your program to make sure that you're hitting your KPIs and those should be aligned to your goals. And all the good things that come with uh, large organizations like aligned to your KPIs, your salary, your bonuses, and all that stuff to ensure that you have the longevity to your program. So final question, kind of wrapping this all together. um, For innovation accounting, what's the best way to get started on this journey? How can our listeners actually take a little bit away from this podcast and say, okay, these are the key things that I'm going to do to make sure that we have innovation accounting in our system? Yeah, I think... It's a little bit depending on where you are are as a company, but if you don't have a clear framework with key questions to move forward from, then you should should start there. So a product lifecycle framework that doesn't look anything like the digitization framework that you have, because there's a lot of association with, oh, but we have a stage gate model from the core company. Yeah, you have that, but... The whole purpose of that stage gate model is perpendicular on what it uh, on the goal of what it should do. So the framework that you have in your innovation environment should be a framework that is that is connected to uh, the search for a working business model. So in every single stage, you're focusing on the key elements of working business model in hierarchical order. So somewhere. You start with problem in, in customer segment, probably. Then you start to look at, depending on, on the kind of initiatives that you have, you start to look at things of like job to be done and solution, then maybe value proposition and revenue. Could be something else if you have a different kind of company, but something like that. So it's the, the framework that really helps you structure innovation accounting. That's your code rec. That's where the key questions will come from so that everybody's aligned around what should we do first? Where should we focus on first? What kind of questions and assumptions should we test first? Mm. And that's then the thing that can help you to start the conversation with your accounting department, with leadership. 
with your team and align everyone around that system. Okay, so aligning everyone around this framework or the system that you've created and again, making clear as you're talking about that system and you're thinking, and I'm thinking you're moving from stage to stage, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you while I have the expert in the room a question that I've been asked many, many times. Do we want to measure failures? And if so, what percent of our project should be failures as a target? Which I know is a tough one to throw in there, but I've been asked this many times. Have you seen successful innovation programs that literally measure, you know, we want 20 or 30% failures? Or is that the wrong way to go about this? No, actually, in the dashboard of ground control, we actually have an invalidation ratio, right? So if you're doing a lot of disruptive innovation, And even if you don't have a benchmark yet, because you're just starting, statistically, what what the rest of the world were doing, if you're not invalidating at all, something is wrong. Because statistically, Mm. one in 10 fail, one in 10 succeed. So the rest should fail. Mm. Even if you might have a different percentage benchmark in the end, it should be around that number, right? So if everything is going through and you have no invalidation rate, and you want to do disruptive innovation, then something is clearly very wrong with your decision-making capabilities, right? Mm. Then you're not invalidating anything. So you should look at your venture board. You should look at the answers that the teams bring in, but something's clearly wrong. So yes, we do have an invalidation ratio in our dashboard because that's very important, especially if you want to do disruptive innovation. It's one of the key elements that you should be looking at because you're financing in a different way. That's one of the key things that you can save money with, that you can show to your accounting department and say, hey, we're not spending uh, these dollars on risky innovation in a way that you don't approve of. No, we have found a way to mitigate risk. We have found a way to deal with risk, which means that, look, we're invalidating, which means we stop investing in that. We only invest the little amount to, to understand if that's something that we want to go through with or not. And then we stop it and we take that money and put that in something that we did validate. Mm. And then ensuring so, that you have the life, the the learning KPIs associated with that as well. So you're not failing yes. just for the sake of failing, but you're failing no. and learning throughout or yeah. invalidating. So when, exactly. So actually, when when uh, in our dashboard, you learn that something isn't true, that's success, right? Mm. It's not mm-hmm. failure. It's an invalidation. And invalidation is success because you learned something. Yes, I like that. That's one thing I learned and I'll take away from this podcast as well. I'm going to change my framing from failures to invalidation because I think that just has a better context with it. Um, <laughs> Esther Gons, thank you so much again for joining us today. If you haven't checked out the book, be sure to check it out, Innovation Accounting. And I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more about it as we move forward here as well. So thank you very much for your time and have a great afternoon. Thanks for having me, Mike. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. NIM helps new software developers, UI UX designers, and product managers gain mentored hands-on industry experience. And at the same time, we provide companies with risk-free tech talent. Definitely a win-win-win situation. Visit newideamachine.com for more information. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. 
please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.